Well, it's the ultimate parachute jumping adventure. Felix Baumgartner, an Austrian skydiver, is preparing to become the first person to break the sound barrier during a free fall this coming August. He'll leap from a specially designed weather balloon at a height of 120,000 feet. That's 23 miles high. And during his 10-minute journey to the Earth, Baumgartner will travel at a speed more than 690 miles an hour in a special pressurized suit. And this suit will protect him from three things. Freezing, because at that altitude, the temperature is a negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Secondly, his blood boiling. Because what happens uh, at 23,000 miles, or 23,000, 23 miles up, 120,000 feet, the, the atmosphere is a thousand times thinner than on the Earth's surface, which, of course, lowers the boiling temperature of liquids, and he, he, his blood would boil. Thirdly, from suffocating, the air at this altitude is too thin to breathe. And so his oxygen packs will supply him with about 20 minutes of air. Now, the helmet of his suit has been specially constructed to help protect him from the sheer force of the sonic boom when he breaks the sound barrier. Scientists working on his team estimate that he'll break the sound barrier about 35 seconds after jumping uh, into the thin air of the stratosphere. And then after about five or so minutes of free fall, Baumgartner will open his parachute at an altitude of about 5,000 feet and hopefully land safely back on the earth. Now, the supersonic skydive is not without its serious complications, as you may imagine. The greatest danger is going into a spin, which you cannot control, in, in which case he would black out. The equally threatening menace is suffering a concussion when he breaks the sound barrier. Now, why would anyone consider jumping out of a balloon at 23 miles high with such incredible risks? Or for that matter, climbing the second seven summits. That's the second highest peak on all seven continents, which mountaineers and climbing experts tell us is the most severe mountain climbing challenge. Or bungee jumping over the Royal Gorge or trekking solo across the Antarctic. Why do people do these things? Well, you have to say, probably at some level, for the sake of adventure, right? We're all born with this God-given sense of, uh, of discovery and, and adventure. It's, it's what uh, we, we, we all have a, as a capacity to imagine what, what is possible, what we could do. That's why children are prone to play and create and make-believe. Now, as we mature into adulthood, we... We tame and we throttle this sense of adventure, but it's still there in all of us in various sizes and in various packages. Uh, it, it's, it looks different in all of us, but it, it, what's, it's what draws all of us to, to create and to tinker and, and to dream and to love a good movie or a good book or to uh, have a hobby or paint or... Uh, collect things or start a new business or or design a new home or grow and take a class. It, it, it's what's inside all of us. And it's in that spirit that today we're launching our church family's 40-day adventure, Finding Real Life. We're entering a season of discovery and growth and change 
in order to more fully experience the real life that Jesus said he desires for us to have. Our 40-day adventure will um, uh, coincide with the historic observation of Lent, and it will culminate in a celebration on Easter Sunday. And my hope is that our 40-day adventure will become an annual high-water mark for our church family. So let's pray together. Lord, it, it, the beauty of this day, we just stop and say thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for health and soundness of mind. Thank you for your favor in our life that we experience in so many ways. Our Father in heaven, we bless your name. We bless your name for the forgiveness that comes through Christ's death and resurrection. We bless your name for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, your gift to the church, the down payment that promises everything you said will come to pass. We bless your name for healing and health. We bless your name for freedom from the curse of the law and your favor in our life. And we bless your name for the future that Christ offers for an uncertain future. Thank you, Lord. We just uh, we bless your name. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Lord, today, as, as even as we see the early signs of winter transitioning into spring, when nature bursts forth with new life, we pray that, that we in these 40 days may experience renewal and expectation, fill our lives with hope and promise in your name. Amen. I grew up in a very conservative Anabaptist church tradition, and uh, I never heard the word Lent. Didn't know what it was. I just thought it was always a little strange that my neighbors, the Dooley brothers, who were very good Catholics, always gave up lifesavers at this time of year. <laughs> I had no idea what that was all about. In the last several decades, I have uh, come to understand that in the historic and liturgical churches, that uh, Lent is actually a 40-day period of identification with Christ in his humility, his suffering, his grief, and his death, and that it concludes with a celebration of his resurrection and new life on Easter. And so our 40-day adventure will coincide with Lent. Now, various traditions count the 40 days slightly differently, uh, and in most cases, the six Sundays of Lent are not considered uh, as part of the celebration. They don't count towards the 40 uh, uh, because they are many Easter's, many celebrations. If you uh, begin your celebration of the 40-day adventure uh, this coming Ash Wednesday, when liturgical churches actually uh, inaugurate Lent with the, uh, the the putting of ashes on the forehead, ashes that traditionally come from the burning of the palm branches from the previous year's celebration, then, then uh, you will celebrate 40 days of adventure minus not including the six Sundays, and it will conclude on Easter Sunday, April the 8th. And now we're not advocating the non-Catholic tradition of Fat Tuesday and Mardi Gras, which really were, at their core, started because people were going to, like, party on as they prepared to sacrifice during the fasting of Lent. That's where those traditions started, although uh, we can't give the Catholics credit for that. Now, I'm not a superstitious person. I don't embrace what some call magical thinking, uh, nor do I believe that Certain rituals, practices, or behaviors cosmically influence the, the results in the, uh, uh, of certain outcome of events. 
But I do recognize that certain numbers are significant. And the number 40 is one such prominent number in the Bible. For instance, 40 days of rain in the 40 days and nights of rain in the great flood of Noah. The 40 days and nights that Moses spent in the presence of God on two occasions on the mountain. The 40 days of scouting the promised land and then the 40 years of the Hebrew people wandering in the wilderness. There's the 40-year reigns of kings David and Solomon, the 40 days and nights that Elijah the prophet spent fleeing from Jezebel, the 40 days of repentance that the reluctant prophet Jonah offered to the city of Nineveh, 40 days of fasting and temptation by Jesus in the wilderness prior to his ministry, Tradition holds that Jesus was actually in the tomb for 40 hours, parts of three days, and then the 40 days of post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. Now, I don't know all the ramifications of the number 40, but I would be safe to conclude that it is certainly significant, right, in, in, in God's economy. And I think it warrants our cooperation. So what are we expecting in these 40 days, our 40-day adventure. Well, in my mind, they represent a, a, a time of seeking hard after the heart of God, a, a more intensely seeking after Jesus. Now, I totally understand that as disciples of Christ, most of us are always seeking after him. But these 40 days represent a special time of focused attention on the Lord, kind of a going up on the mountain and experiencing his presence, as Moses did, kind of season. And my expectations are rooted in three cornerstone prayers that I'm going to encourage all of you to pray as well. The first prayer is for ourselves, that we'll actually discover and experience Jesus in more powerful ways. I want to draw closer to him. I want to hear his voice more clearly I want his word to speak into my life more powerfully. I want specific answers to some prayers that I'm praying. And I want to be changed in perhaps small and seemingly insignificant all the way to large and dramatic ways. I want to be changed. So I'm praying for very specific breakthroughs in my own life and in the lives of the people that I love and care for. If you're part of our church family, I'm praying for you every day. Your name is on this card, and I pray over it for a breakthrough in your life. And if you'd like, you could record what your breakthrough is on your Get Connected card. And over these 40 days, I'll join with you in praying for a breakthrough. So prayer. Um, Secondly, a prayer for our friends, that the Holy Spirit would touch what I'm calling my five friends. Now, I want to introduce you today to the concept of my five friends. Research shows us that anywhere between 75 to 90% of the people who choose to follow Jesus do so because they were significantly impacted by a personal relationship with a genuine follower of Christ, as opposed to watching a television program or reading a book or attending an event, hearing a sermon, watching Christian TV or something like that. Now, it's not to minimize those. They have their place. But it is to say that the overwhelming majority of people that eventually decide to become Christ followers do so because they were impacted by people like you and me 
who pull alongside and develop a relationship with them. So, as part of cultivating relationship with my five friends, um, I'm going to commit to pray for them by name. They're largely unchurched, as far as I know. And for your my five friends list, maybe some of you already have them, wouldn't have called it that, but people that you pray for on a regular basis, we're, we're now just giving it a name. I would suggest that you identify five friends that, as far as you know, are unchurched, and for whom you know that no one else is really praying to see the kingdom of God come into their lives. Uh, pick them from your three worlds, where you work, where you live, and the relational orbit in which you travel. The three worlds that we've talked about so regularly here. Pick five people, as the Spirit might direct you, um, for whom it's not likely that anyone else is actually praying. And so that's the second cornerstone prayer. The Holy Spirit may, as you pray for your five friends, actually inspire and prompt you to invest in their life in some particular way over over these 40 days, or to include them in your sphere of activity. Or you may even invite them, if the occasion would so uh, uh, present itself, for an Easter celebration, because even unchurched people are more likely to receive an invitation to attend an Easter celebration in our culture. So for our friends, uh, for ourselves, for our friends, and thirdly, for our church and community, that God's kingdom would would come into our church family and into all the various communities that are are represented here, in Peoria and Dunlap and Morton and East Peoria and Chillicothe and Washington and Eureka and, and others, that, that we would see God's kingdom come. Uh, just as a for instance, I'm, I'm praying for um, new jobs in our church family. I'm praying for better jobs. I'm praying, praying for favor on the jobs that you've already got. Um, I'm praying for God's love to break into our community where the spirit of legalism and, and religion and distorted perspectives of what Christianity really is all about seem to often be the stronghold. People have ideas what they think Christians really are. Now, I can tell you're all looking very intently at that picture right there, so let me just comment about it. It was a snapshot of, I think, the first or second night that we gathered in this building on Sunday evenings last year uh, as our church family was just beginning to emerge. And if you don't see your, your mug shot in that picture, it's because maybe you weren't here with us that night. Because I think everybody that was present had their picture there. And so we'll, we'll do this like regularly so that next time we put a picture up like that, your picture can be included in the shot. Even if you don't consider yourself part of our family yet, that's fine. And so over the, over the years, that'll benchmark our, our growth as God blesses us. So that was, uh, I think, the, um, like the, uh, the middle of, of November of last year. So three cornerstone prayers anchor our expectations in our 40-day adventure. Now, our 40-day adventure is also going to be accompanied by a study in the four Gospels uh, that will help us more fully understand what is this real life that Jesus said he came to give. We'll preach a series of six sermons, followed by weekly discussions and application in our small group. Now, if I were to ask you the question, you know, what did Jesus come to do? We'd entertain a number of answers, things like, well, to seek and save the lost, to create the church, to show us the way to heaven, to provide moral and spiritual instruction, uh, to to, uh, do the will of God who sent him. And and all of those would be great answers if they were what you were thinking. Uh, But, but... 
I would say that none of those answers is quite large enough to fully encompass what Jesus said his real purpose was. I believe the larger story of the Bible will show us that Jesus came to actually bring the real life of his kingdom to the earth. Uh, Turn with me real quickly to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. In this gospel, we see the inauguration of Jesus' ministry uh, with this announcement. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, Dr. Luke gives us uh, 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 his view of this inauguration of Jesus' ministry in the fourth chapter of his gospel, Luke 4, verses 18 to 19. He quotes, uh, Jesus is quoting Isaiah the prophet, and Luke records that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So God's good news, otherwise called the gospel, is that the kingdom has come. And this means that sins are forgiven, that sicknesses are healed, that captives are released from their slavery in whatever form and fashion it takes, that the oppressed are set free, and that God's favor and blessing is now here. We've said before that this is the arrival of the long-awaited age to come, spoken of by the prophets, modeled by Jesus, into this present evil age, the coming of the future, age to come, invading the present evil age. And Jesus was announcing now the restoration of all things as God intended. I like how Jesus actually framed this mission in another context. John 10, 10, the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, where we read that Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. I think it's noteworthy that Jesus contrasts his work and purpose as over against that of the enemy. Now, in other places in the Bible, uh, the thief is referred to as Satan, uh, the devil, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, and the great dragon. Our enemy, real enemy, the devil, is actually a disarmed ruler of this present evil age, and he presides over a kingdom of darkness populated with demons and evil principalities and powers that rule uh, that came with the fall, the fall of man into sin. And this kingdom of darkness has a pervasive effect in the world today. And it's things like sin, sickness and disease, poverty, lack, injustice, oppression, addiction, betrayal, war, hatred, murder, all things dark and sinister. In this statement, Jesus is summarily describing 
the enemy's work, the kingdom of darkness, as stealing, killing, and destroying. It's a summary, sweeping summary statement. And he described his work as bringing the rich and satisfying life of the kingdom to his people into the lives of men and women and children who are caught under the suffocating grip of the enemy who now rules this world order. So Jesus is describing his mission as bringing the rich and satisfying life of his kingdom into our lives. Other translations of John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly or that you might have the life of the kingdom, I like the language real life. Jesus wants you to have real life, the life of his kingdom. Now, many Western Christians of the modern era have defined real life in terms of the American dream, a life that is better and fuller and richer for everyone, Uh, worldly success, financial independence, freedom from physical pain, and suffering, all other encumbering problems. You know, everything's going well, we're, we're happy, we're educated, we're in shape, uh, and of course, we can recreate at leisure and travel at will, and we'll retire with a large bank account. That's the American dream. But is that the real life that Jesus said he came for us to get? Is that the life of the kingdom? Well, It's actually what we're going to press into both discovering and experiencing together in the next 40 days. We're going to look at the four Gospels, at this collection of snapshots that the Holy Spirit gives us in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see what is the real life of the kingdom that Jesus actually brought as a model for us to experience. And and just in the spirit of full, full disclosure, I want to warn you that Jesus said it's not popular and it likely will bring division. He said it's not easy, but it is accessible by everyone. He says it requires commitment and offers real, tangible benefit. Benefits such as love for hate, forgiveness for sin, justice for injustice, healing for sickness and pain. Provision for lack, honor for disregard, respect for oppression, humility for pride, patience for impatience, blessing instead of anger, peace for anxiety, and gentleness for rudeness. Real, concrete, practical benefit in his kingdom. And then he says, I will fill you with my very presence, my personal, powerful, indwelling presence, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will make it all possible. He doesn't expect us to have this kind of life on our own strength or power. And in another way, his life wasn't like a teaser for what life will be like when you finally die and go to heaven. Like that's when we'll finally get real life. No, I mean, what's the point if we can't experience here what he said he came to bring? Uh, it's meant for us today. It's real. It's, it's concrete. It's practical. It's accessible. There's nothing ethereal or otherworldly or cosmic about it. It's, it's what he means for us to experience 
in our shared life together now. And so in these 40 days, my hope is that we actually discover and grow and experience and change the real life that Jesus actually said is ours to have. Now, lastly, and I know this is the word you're waiting for, I'm suggesting that our 40-day adventure be accompanied by some sort of fasting. And the church collectively smiled or groaned. (laughs) Now, historically, the the liturgical churches and those who maybe grew up in this this practice of Lent, uh, they have taken up fasting in some fashion during Lent. But I know that most of you, like me, want to avoid talking about fasting. I've spent a lot of time thinking about fasting, actually, over the last years, and I can just tell you that that uh, I've, as I've dug down to the deepest root, and, and I, I went down below where everything is hidden, uh, behind all of my other excuses, I've actually discovered the the real reason why me, I'll speak for myself, but maybe you're, you're like me, uh, why why we like to avoid the subject of fasting. That's because I like food. <laughs> and and I, I don't like being hungry. <laughs> That's it. I like food. I I like to socialize around it. I like preparing it. I like eating it. I like how it makes me feel. Don't go messing with me and my food. But actually, the Bible has a lot to say about fasting. Um, it's interesting in Matthew's Gospel, the sixth chapter verses 16 to 18, Jesus seems to make an assumption that fasting is a a regular routine part of Christian devotion. He says it like this. When you fast, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people would admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And listen to this. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. And so Jesus appeals to the hedonist in all of us. We are to be motivated by a reward, a promise of reward from the Father. It's not just all like altruistic spiritual. No, it's like God sees you, he'll reward you. That was Jesus' promise. So I'm like, okay, sign me up, Lord, as reluctant as I am. Simply put, fasting means abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. There are two general types of fasts in the Bible. A normal fast is abstaining from food for a specific length of time. Uh, maybe it's a half a day or 24 hours. Maybe it's a, it's a three-day fast or a one-week fast, or in some cases for a full 40 days. Um, drinking only liquids, juice and water in this time. Now, we're not talking about taking a ribeye steak or a chocolate cake, pureeing them in your food processor so that you can drink it. That's not in the spirit of the text. No solid foods, only liquids for a special period of time. And then the Bible also encourages people to to practice partial fast. That's the second type, where we omit or limit certain foods or activities for a time. For instance, Daniel 
and his three friends apparently ate only fresh vegetables and drank water. It's now popularly called the Daniel Fast. Uh, John the Baptist refused to eat any fruit of the vine or drink any fermented beverage. And so a partial fast, in a partial fast, you alter your diet or you may omit a meal for a season. Maybe you skip breakfast or lunch uh, or go without dinner one or two or three days a week. Uh, God may call you to give up caffeine or carbs or meat or something else, snack food. Maybe you should fast fast foods. Okay, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> maybe, maybe for you it's stimulants like Red Bull or Mountain Dew or, or whatever, you know. Uh, so you just have to ask the Lord what, what that might be. You alter your diet or you omit a meal for a season. But you could also fast certain activities. Um, for instance, in 1 Corinthians, a letter the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, he indicates that a married couple may refrain from sexual intimacy for a season for a, a, a purpose of actually seeking God. Uh, you could, in this case, maybe unplug the television or give up cable, stop playing video games. You may fast Facebook or email, surfing the Internet, um, maybe shopping or spending with credit cards or Quit reading romance novels or, you know, unplug Google Reader for a time. I'm only just suggesting, like, what might really cost you something, because that's the whole point of fasting, to identify with the Lord in suffering, self-imposed, as it were. I'm no hero about fasting. I like food as much as most of you do. And so I'll, but, but in the spirit of disclosure, I'll just tell you as of today, I'm, I'm planning over the next 40 days to give up all sugar as best as I can. Um, cookies, cake, candy, dessert, you know, pop tarts with frosting, um, (laughs) all caffeine. Uh, and that's, that'll be hard because I am addicted to good coffee and soda pop, uh, no alcohol, planning to go on two, three-day complete fast, because I've found that longer fasts are actually easier than one day, because the one-day fast, your your system is just like detoxing, and you get an enormous headache usually, and it's just a hassle. And so, like, once you break through the first day, you might as well, like, go for it. But, uh, and I, I, I plan at the Lord's direction to skip breakfast and lunch as he prompts. And that's just where I am today. And I'm not saying, like, look at me. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. Because I take this seriously. I don't ask you to do anything I don't do. Uh, and so I can just tell you that in 2004, I went on an extended fast. And to this very day, it remains perhaps one of the most powerful spiritual experiences of my 38 years of following Christ. It was incredibly powerful. It, it, set, it set the benchmark. I'm not going to do 40 days. You know, I, I, that's just not possible anymore, I don't think, unless God calls me to it. Um, but I, I'm willing to do what he says because I've realized the benefit. Jesus meant what he said, that when you fast, there's a reward. Now, you don't need to worry that somebody else is going to find out what you're fasting because there, there are two types of fasts in this regard as well. There are private fasts that you just celebrate. You wash your face and comb your hair. But then there are collective fasts where the body of Christ is fasting for a particular purpose. And that's what the 40-day adventure is about. Everybody knows that we're entering a spirit, a time of, of special Preparation. And so in this sense, it's, it's actually a form of accountability to share 
uh, maybe with one other person, a good friend, or maybe your small group this week, what it is you feel God nudging you to fast. Why would we fast during our 40-day adventure? I mean, don't we want this to be a fun and exhilarating and positive experience? Well, to be sure. And one of the ways that you can strengthen the possibility of this adventure being positive is to undergird it with some form of fasting. Several reasons, because fasting is a way that we can submit ourselves in humility to Jesus, because fasting is a way to express our dependence upon him, uh, because fasting is a way that you can actually see a breakthrough from God in a particular area. Maybe it's freedom from a habitual sin or uh, an addiction or a habit or a compulsion. Maybe it's receiving wisdom from God about a decision that you're facing. Uh, Maybe it's uh, getting the help that you need in a relationship. You know, or on the job at work or, or at school or in your health. Maybe it's experiencing relief from a plaguing anxiety or depression. It's just been my experience that, that uh, fasting will provide those kinds of breakthroughs. More than any other spiritual discipline, fasting reveals the things that control me and keep me from growing. No matter how I've practiced it, Fasting quickly reveals how powerfully food controls me. I mean, when you set your heart to fast, you, you never imagine the power that one little saltine cracker or a potato chip has. It screams from the bag or the cupboard, eat me, eat me. And then, you know, usually you collapse in a pile of sin and just go ahead and eat. I mean, I've done that hundreds of times. I've committed to, maybe that's an over-exaggeration, dozens and dozens of times where, you know, you set your heart to fast and you collapse. My human fleshly cravings and desires are like a raging river that tend to overflow their banks and mess up my life. But I've found that fasting is a way that helps keep that river in its proper channel. Bottom line, here it is. I think what Jesus wants me to experience, and you as well, is this. I think what he wants us to experience in fasting is this. Ben, I want you to hunger for me and my purposes in your life as much as you're hungering for blank, whatever you're fasting. That's the power that it will have in the next 40 days. When you really want to eat or you really want to play a video game or you really want to do whatever, you'll be reminded that Jesus is saying to us, I really want you to hunger for my purposes in your life, in your five friends, and for your church and community as much as you're hungering for that right now. That's the power in fasting. Now, it would be wrong to, if we're prone to think that if we fast for a certain length of time or that we practice fasting in a certain way, that somehow it would impress God to answer one of our three prayers. Friends, I got news for you. God is not impressible with our religious activity. No amount of fasting or worship or church servicing or, or ministering to others is going to impress God, and he'll be moved and think, oh, my goodness, look at the sacrifice Ben is making. I think I'll answer his prayer. That's not the spirit in which Jesus encourages us to practice fasting. Nothing's going to wrestle from God's hand something that you want. And I don't think we should ever imagine that just because we do something will move the will of God. The purpose of fasting is not to bend God's will, but rather to bend our hearts in submission and humility to the awesome, great God, and to watch him move on our behalf. It's to humble ourselves and finally put ourselves in a place 
where he can work. That's the power. So I suggest you try it. Some of you that maybe have never fasted or fasted and failed, I suggest that you take the risk. And hopefully you'll experience that you won't just be going hungry. Well, friends, are you ready for a 40-day adventure? I Yeah, all right. Now we are. I I am. I'm excited. Uh, I, I'm stepping into this with a little bit of fear and trepidation. Uh, quite honestly, don't quite know what's ahead for us, but I'm looking forward to it. I invite you over the next several days before we kick off officially on Ash Wednesday, this February 22nd, 23rd, 22nd, uh, this coming Wednesday. I'm, I'm asking that you would ask the Holy Spirit to craft for you your three cornerstone prayers. What is it that you want to see breakthrough in your life, in your five friends, and in your church family, and in your community for? And then um, to, for the Holy Spirit to indicate, if anything, that he wants you to fast. Listen to his voice. He'll tell you. Um, and just be open. Now, it may not be like jumping out of a balloon at 23 miles high. But my suspicions are we're going to be in for the ride of our lives. Lord, we're just grateful that you invite us to to partner with you and to celebrate with you and identify with you in this period of preparation for the greatest victory of all times in the resurrection. And would you now just, Lord, breathe on our church family that we may like receive everything you want for us in this 40 days. As we draw close to you, we thank you that your promise is you'll draw close to us. And Lord, there are a lot of needs in our lives, in our church family, and we want to see breakthrough there. There's a lot of people we know and love that don't know you yet either. Use us there, and our church family could use your touch, Lord, in a lot of ways in our communities. There's filled with thousands of people who don't know you. So, Lord, breathe on these 40 days as we offer them to you. And now, Lord, as we give to you our resources in the offering, and we lift our hearts and hands in song and prayer, we pray that you'd receive these for what they are, tokens that our life is fully yours. In your name, amen.